0: Hi, and welcome to episode six of the Unveiling Grace podcast. This week, Lynn and I are going to conclude our conversation on who is this Jesus of grace. We hope you will enjoy our conversation as we introduce you to a grace that heals. So, as we wrap up here, I guess the question I'd like to ask you, because you lived a lot of years in a performance-based religion. How does that, somebody responding with, was that all you got? Because, you know, I got all that in spades, plus there's no way I'm gonna condemn you, because I know my own heart, I know my own junk. How does that compare to what happens within a performance-based group? Because everybody's carrying their junk around, whether they admit it or not.
1: Yeah, and and because there's always measuring going on in performance-based, three things happen. Shame, yes, guilt,
0: yes,
1: and fear. Wow, and the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear doesn't come from God, neither does shame, neither does guilt necessarily, right? Right, um, but freedom in Christ and love and and the grace to go out and give other people love but yes. not continually being under this self-condemnation and this others condemnation right. to live freely
0: in Christ so what kind of community is there then when you have those man, with shame guilt and fear when what does that do to community
1: I I didn't have any authentic community, I wouldn't say, for 30 years. Certainly when I lived where there were lots of folks around me in the same performance-based religion, I would never have opened my mouth and been honest about a weakness or maybe a sin. Right? because I would be afraid that someone would run to my ecclesiastical leader and then there might be consequences, and particularly for me with my job working for that organization, um, there might have been some pretty dire consequences as people are judging my sin, right? So I often say to um, Bible believers that if you have friends in performance-based religion, please love 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 on them provide a safe place for them to come where they can talk about things that they struggle with questions that they have and then never open your mouth and tell other people about that but be a safe place for them so that they can they have freedom to be authentic somewhere
0: right because i'm sure people in performance-based religion still yell at their kids <laughs> I, I sure did. Yeah, <laughs> know, I'm sure, sure people. Had to do I'm enough. sure people in performance-based religions, you know, are still still have you know spats with their husbands and wives, and there's fallout and there's hurt. But man, if you can never express that, if you can never talk about that, mm-hmm. and especially not to be able to talk about that in a context where somebody goes, "Yeah, me too," but man, within the community of believers, we should all. That's that's where we all live. We're all me too. None of us is perfect. In fact, one of the things we've talked about, one of the things one of the focuses, we're learning what it means to be an imperfect person who is perfectly loved.
1: Yeah. I and love to
0: extend that. that to other people. This Jesus of grace is an amazing Jesus. And he opens the door to so much true community. So instead So what would be the contrast? So if we have shame and guilt and fear, fear, what are those replaced with in the Christian, the grace-based community? Instead of shame, we would have
1: acceptance?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I'm wanting you to help me think because I haven't thought about this.
1: Well, I have an identity in Christ. Right. And I know who I am in Christ. And so I have, I wouldn't say a confidence, but a peace, right? Okay. And knowing... Who I am, what I believe, how much he loves me, kind of um, how he says I should live, those kind of things.
0: Okay. So instead of shame, we have acceptance in this whole thing. Instead of guilt, we have forgiveness.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and instead we should of... do all
0: one on forgiveness, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so put that in the show notes. or <laughs> that We need to do a podcast on grace and forgiveness. And then instead of fear, we have confidence. We have, um, it says, perfect love casts out fear.
1: Yeah. When I was in performance-based religion, I was always a little afraid for people to find out, especially in the outside world, right, what I belong to because of how they might judge me. Uh, Now that I've been changed by this Jesus of the Bible, I really have no fear in telling people who I am what kind of changes have happened, what it was like before, what it's like afterwards. And I want you to know, I just retired from uh, the last 11 years at a secular university in Florida, where almost all my colleagues, professor colleagues, were atheists, and my bosses, and the the university administration, and yet... I just kind of owned the fact that I was Christian. They weren't always comfortable with that, but I was fine with that. Yeah. And it gave me lots of opportunities to talk to people about Jesus and who I was. And um, I know it sounds a little Jesus freaky, right? And I don't mean that, but God often opened the doors for people to come to my office and close the door and ask me questions about my faith, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, which is wonderful. And which is exactly what grace is designed to produce in our lives grace is there and kind of go back this pod this unveiling grace podcast is all about a grace that heals
1: absolutely Joel.
0: so thank you um thank you for being our guests for being with us for listening in our conversation um putting up with our rambling and some of our disjointedness (laughs) at times, but now we just hope it encourages your heart because we want your life to be transformed by grace. We want your relationships to be transformed by grace and to let you know that's possible. That concludes the segment of Who is this Jesus of Grace? Join us now as we pick up on our next episode, which is pleasing God versus trusting God. I'm Joel Grote.
1: And I'm Lynn Wilder. We want to talk about the difference between pleasing God and completely trusting God. Both of these seem important. So why do we distinguish between the two?
0: Well, Lynn, we distinguish between them because they both can be motivators the driving force and model for our relationship with God. But motivators are like masters. And Jesus said we can't have two masters. We have to choose whom we'll serve. So the same is true with what motivates your Christian life.
1: So pleasing God as a motivator works differently than trusting God as a motivator.
0: Yes, and my life is a prime example. Um, When I was seven... I recognized that I was sinful. I knew I had fallen short of the perfection of God. I had been raised by godly parents, Um, but I understood at that point that Jesus had lived and died so he could offer me an amazing trade. Um, So I confessed my sin. I realized that was the only thing I had to bring to the table was my sin. I could do nothing to get rid of that sin on my own. And when I came to God in repentance and faith, even as a young child, um, and really at seven, simple childlike faith was all I really had, um, I asked God to take away that sin to forgive me, and what I received in its place was God's forgiveness and the perfection of Jesus Christ. So God did that. Um, He took all my sin. He gave me the perfect righteousness of his Son. So When I walked into God, the Father's presence, I walked in a sinful person who was separated, alienated from God. All I deserved at that point was the wrath of God and his judgment. But when I made the trade, I walked away from that encounter um, as an adopted son of God that now had his full, perfect love and his full approval.
1: Well, it sounds like you trusted God Where does the pleasing God part come
0: in? I think I did pretty well, and then I hit junior high. And in junior high, I mean, I was still religious. I I, I mean, I still think I was a believer. I was a Christian. But at that point, I was pretty consistently breaking the first and greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was not happening. I was more about what pleased me, what was making me feel good about life, what was making life work for me. Not too uncommon. I have eight kids. Um, They've all been through junior high. I think all of them struggled with that at some point. So when I hit high school, I realized that this wasn't the way to go. And so I said, I've got to recommit my life to God. I know that my focus needs to be on Him. But there was a subtle shift that took place. And maybe it's because of what I'd done in the past, and I knew it was wrong. So I decided that if I wanted to be right with God, I really had to perform. In other words, there were certain rules and expectations, some spoken, some not. And I committed myself to following those because I wanted to please God. And I figured the way to get God pleased with me was to do as much as I could right. Sin as little as possible, do as much good. That was kind of my focus. But I realized, looking back, that was pretty much falling into legalism.
1: So, Joel, why don't you define for us what legalism is?
0: Okay, well, I'll give you my definition. There's probably a lot of them. But for me, legalism is all about performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it says that there are rules, some spoken, some unspoken. Um, it says that there are standards of behavior. There are things you do and things you don't do if you're a good Christian. Mm-hmm. And the better you perform at doing those things, the more pleased God is with you. So my life was far more defined by what I was doing and how I was doing it than it was necessarily any sort of close intimacy or relationship with God. I mean, I knew he's my father, but that really wasn't what my focus was on.
1: Even while being a believer,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, my parents were foreign missionaries. There was like almost this special status, which I don't think is legitimate. I don't think missionaries have higher spiritual standing but within that context and back in the day that's certainly kind of how it was.
1: Well I can certainly relate to that whole idea of wanting God to be pleased with me right and my works. When I was Mormon I had these long lists of things I needed to do. I would get up early. I used to get quite irritated if my list got messed with. <laughs> I called it my gerbil wheel, really. I okay. I was just yep. constantly, 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 constantly trying to please God. And I felt like that was the way to get right with God.
0: Okay. By doing. We had gerbils and hamsters, so I know the wheel. <laughs> so for you, like for me, it was all about the doing. It was all about the effort you were putting in. And it was all about also a sense of how well you were doing. Because if you have the list, you can kind of go, well, here's the list. Here's how I did. I guess maybe my question would be then, but what happens when the list does fall apart? So what, what was your experience then? Because um, I'm guessing you had times when you didn't do I mean, that's the thing with performance. You can't, nobody's 100, nobody's perfect. Right. And very few people are even good performers over the long haul
1: well not only did i get irritated if there was an interruption i felt it was my fault probably in the end and something i had done a sin or somehow i had fallen short because with legalism and performance based religion right it's all about your works right and then it's kind of all about you It took me a while to realize that, but I was focused on myself.
0: So it's kind of like if I messed up, it's up to me to fix it. Yeah. Or
1: if something else messed it up, I might have done something wrong that caused that to happen. I actually thought that.
0: That's, okay, that's fascinating.
1: And that came from uh, the Book of Mormon says... That those who are righteous are blessed both temporally and spiritually. Okay. So I felt like if something went wrong, I must have done something wrong. Because you weren't being
0: blessed anymore. Yeah. Right. Well, it sounds like we experienced a lot of the same things from two different, to- totally different perspectives, which just goes to show being performance-based in terms of your relationship with God is not exclusive to any particular religious system. You can find this everywhere. Mm. Now... Let me ask you this, or let me, because here was my experience when it came. So when things are going bad, it's all about you. You got to fix it. But when things are going good, I mean, because let's face it, I was a pretty good performer. I mean, I was about following rules because I liked what it did. It kind of made my life go smoother. People looked at me. Mm -hmm. Um, In high school, I was a high achiever. I was president of my senior class. I was at a small boarding school, so there wasn't a lot of competition But I was layout editor of the yearbook, I was in the traveling choir, I played sports. Life was kind of good. But when I look back, when things were going well, if I'm honest with myself, I was arrogant and prideful and probably at times kind of hard to live with. So I don't know if you've seen that, but... To me, that's kind of the danger performance-based. When it's going bad, you beat yourself up. It can be devastating. When it's going good, Mm -hmm. man, to me, that's almost worse because then the pride and the arrogance kicks in. And I could be really judgmental of people I didn't think were performing as well as I was. So
1: years ago, there was a TV show called Queen for a Day. And there was this little meter And it measured the applause that each contestant got. And the one that got the most applause won the prize, right? I always felt like, I think, uh, there was this meter that could measure my righteousness, right? And as long as I was doing this this and this and this and this and this and this, that meter was going pretty high, and I was getting a lot of that applause. And until I left a legalistic based system I didn't realize how prideful that made me because as that applause meter went higher I thought better of myself now I thought it meant that God was more pleased with me and that I was pleasing him more right but basically I was looking for honors of men I want other people to see that I was doing things pretty well so being a BYU professor was a big deal in Mormonism. I,
0: I can see where that would be the case. Oh my goodness, That's I thought high. <laughs> it was a big deal,
1: right? Because other people thought it was a big deal. Um, I thought very differently about that years later. But those kind of things do kind of feed our pride. Yep. Yeah. And when I got... Farther along as a believer, I decided that wasn't as good a thing as I thought it was.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the same here. Um, when you get to see things realistically, and I think since the kind of focus of, of the whole podcast, all we're going to doing is grace, I think that's one of the benefits of true grace is that true grace is also God loving and loving us enough to show us where we are wrong, where mm. we may be totally caught up in ourselves and think, wow, I've got the blessing, I've got the favor of God, things are going great, when the reality is just the opposite. And God in his grace can expose that. Mm. Um,
1: that because, happened with me.
0: <laughs> well, someday, sometime I want to hear about, I want to hear about that because <laughs> I think it's anybody's experience who has really sought after God, to know God intimately, where knowing God, where knowing Jesus and being connected with them was far more important than anything you were being able to do or pull off. So that's performance-based. That's So if our motivator is pleasing God, it's easy to get caught up in that. It's easy to get caught up in the rules, the regulations, the standards, the applause. How do you think that that differs from trusting God? Because we are saying, okay, we want to talk two motivators. You're either motivated by pleasing God or you're motivated by trusting God. And trusting God can seem a lot more nebulous. I mean, when you talk about pleasing God, give me my list. I know what to do. It's there. Trusting God, that's a little more iffy.
1: Well, One of the things I began to realize as I read the Bible was this God's huge. He's okay. able. He's loving. Um... This God is amazing, and He's worthy of being trusted. Okay. I believed that He loved me, and I found that out by reading how He had died for me, gone to the cross and taken a punishment that I deserved, but He did it, and He did that because of His great love for me, and so I began to see this God as, wow this is somebody I can trust. This is a father figure, right? Mm-hmm. Who's beyond any earthly father figure. Right. Even. Yeah.
0: And so, because what that what that triggers in my mind is, this, is a couple of things that scripture says. One, um, we love him because he first loved us. So God is the initiator. He comes to us when we're undeserving, when we're maybe caught up in our own performance and thinking we're doing well. And he loves us then. And also the idea that Abraham is one who is held up as a figure of what it means to trust God. In fact, I think it's in Romans, Romans 4 where it says that Abraham believed God. Mm-hmm. He believed what God said. He believed all that God had promised him, even though he hadn't seen any of it. And because he believed God, because he trusted God and took him at his word, that's what was credited righteousness so his whole standing his whole right standing with God was not based on anything because at that point he hadn't he hadn't tried to sacrifice Isaac he had there'd been a lot of things he hadn't done Mm -hmm. and yet that act of trusting God and trusting what God had said about him was what was credited as righteousness
1: One day, uh, reading in Mormon scriptures, in Doctrine and Covenants 132, I discovered a verse about Abraham's righteousness, and it actually says that Abraham, well, let me look at it. It says that Abraham received concubines, and they bore him children, And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Wait. And I thought, wait a minute. I thought I read in the Bible that it was Abraham's faith that was accounted unto him for righteousness.
0: That's fascinating. But, I mean, D&C 132 is right when Joseph is in the middle of all the polygamy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, there's kind of a difference between having concubines get you righteousness, and having trusting God, believing God, get you righteousness. Um, we may have to explore that a little bit later, and we'll go ahead and put into the, into the show notes um, that reference so people can maybe look that up um, if that's something new to them.
1: But the Bible was very clear that it was faith that was that made people righteous right it was their faith in god that was accounted unto them for righteousness it says that in genesis and in romans and in hebrews
0: right and i think that's finally where i came to what finally got me off the hamster wheel of performance because it, it is that you're on it you get going at a certain rate and then you can't sustain it you do fall off And I got so tired. I literally got exhausted because I would work I perform, I would think I was doing well, and then you fall. Then you mess up. You can't sustain it. And I felt like God was a million miles away. I felt like at that point, my sin, my fallenness had just put this huge wall of separation between me and God. And it took some counseling, some scripture reading, some resources, Um, One book in particular called True Faced, and again, we can put a link to that, where the message was, no, wait a second. If your motivator is performance, is pleasing God, you'll always be exhausted. If your motivator is trusting God, then where you put your effort is, what does God say about me? And how much do I really truly believe that? And so that drove me right back to two main chapters, Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8. And Ephesians chapter 1 had this incredible list of who I was in Christ, just because of Christ. So I was an adopted son. I'd been given every gift that I needed for righteousness. I'd been blessed in the high places. I'm not going to be able to pull them all off. And then Romans eight, you know, you can what can enter separate the very us? Very
1: throne, right, and communicate with him and have this relationship.
0: So then, all of a sudden, trusting God became this incredibly freeing thing, because now, okay, God says I'm an accepted love son because of what Jesus. Going back to that event when I was seven years old, when I traded my sin for the perfect righteousness of Christ, that now becomes the lens through which God sees me. He sees me through the righteousness of His Son. And that, that was a game changer. When I, when I believed that, when I really trusted that was true about me, then all of a sudden my performance wasn't an issue. That doesn't mean that I threw performance out, but it's not the primary motivator. Now it's like, okay, I'm gonna trust what God says. I'm gonna live out of that. And now I am free to love, to care, How does that compare with what you experienced when you moved out of the performance based? Well,
1: you know, when I was in the performance based religion, I saw God as a punisher, someone watching me all the time to see if I was doing what was right. And if I didn't do something that was right, I would get punished. So I kind of saw him as this old man with a hammer. He's just waiting for for you to screw up, right? Yeah. Right. But as I began to read the New Testament and read about this God of the Bible, I met this much bigger God, a loving God, a God of mercy and forgiveness that seemed to me like he was worthy of, of my trust.
0: Feel free to um, subscribe to the podcast, to share it. Uh, we'd love to have this message go out as broadly as possible. And again, thanks for being a part of Unveiling Grace Podcast.